Together, we hope to mobilize, we're mobilizing $20 billion to support Indonesia's efforts to reduce emissions. Welcome to today's Jolt. It's the 8th of November. I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in the episode, I'll be looking into how efforts to help Indonesia go green in a big way are progressing. One of the world's biggest emitters wants to embrace clean energy and needs the help of wealthy nations to get it done. First, though, let's take a look at the stories making headlines around the world. First up, Portugal's Prime Minister shockingly resigned yesterday after he was caught up in an ongoing corruption inquest into how certain energy contracts were awarded. Antonio Costa's offices were searched by investigators as part of their probe, and he later turned in his resignation, saying, Suspicion of my integrity is not compatible with the job. The inquest alleges that contracts for lithium mining and hydrogen production were not properly awarded, and that misuse of funds, active and passive corruption by political figures, and influence peddling may have taken place. A snap election is now a likely outcome. China has pledged to track and reduce methane emissions as part of a new plan announced yesterday. China is the world's biggest producer of methane, a greenhouse gas that does not stay in the atmosphere nearly as long as CO2, but which has a much more potent warming impact. Regulators will monitor emissions from all sectors, with a view to greatly improving its tracking systems by 2030. There are no reduction targets per se at this stage, though, and China still remains outside of the Global Methane Pledge, a US and Europe-led initiative that was established two years ago at the Glasgow Climate Summit. Whether China's new plan will buy any extra diplomatic clout at this year's COP remains to be seen. India has signed a $200 million renewable energy deal with the World Bank. The loan in question will help India's northernmost state, Himachal Pradesh, deploy power sector reforms and diversify its clean energy sources in order to reach a 100% green electricity objective by 2030. The state already gets 80% of its power from hydro, and the investment will help the authorities maximise existing production, as well as add in a planned 150 megawatts of solar PV. The money will also go towards job creation, which includes the hiring and training of 700 female apprentices over the full lifetime of the programme. Himachal Pradesh hopes to be the first Indian state to go green. Scotland's government has delayed the publication of a brand new, updated climate plan that was due to be unveiled this month. Scottish government says that measures taken by the central UK government in London, including a pushback of fossil fueled engine bans, gas boiler phase-outs and the issuing of new oil and gas exploration permits, had affected its timeline. The head of the UK's climate change committee, Chris Stark, said he was disappointed by the delay and insisted he sees no reason why Westminster's announcements should affect the Scottish plan. Scotland aims to go net zero by 2045, five years earlier than the UK as a whole. British monarch King Charles III opened Parliament for the first time as UK head of state yesterday and during his speech confirmed that the UK government will legally require its energy regulator to hold annual oil and gas exploration permit auctions. King Charles is known for being an environmentalist and pundits have claimed that he would have likely disdained the speech that he is obligated to read as monarch. All part of the job, I suppose. 
Morocco's energy ministry has called for expressions of interest in building new high-voltage transmission lines in the North African Kingdom. The ministry wants to link the energy-rich southwest of the country to its central regions where most energy demand is met, with two power lines, each with a capacity of 1.5 gigawatts part of the plan. The first should be online by 2026 and the second by 2028. Morocco wants the chosen developer to design, fund, construct, operate and maintain the lines. Namibia has broken ground on what is being called the world's first green iron project. The site will be located near the town of Arandis in central Namibia, which is known as the uranium capital of the world, and it will use 100% renewable power to produce iron. The project is going ahead thanks to a partnership between the Namibian and German governments. Steel is normally in focus when it comes to decarbonisation of industrial processes, but iron is also produced using energy-intensive processes, so green in its production is also of critical importance to emission goals. This first project could well be a template for other countries to replicate. Latin America and the Caribbean are headed for higher emissions if business continues as usual, the International Energy Agency has said in a first-of-its-kind report that looks at the region. Current policies mean CO2 emissions will rise 2% by 2030 and 11% by 2050, despite fossil fuel use going down and renewable energy penetration set to go up. Energy demand is increasing too quickly for policies to keep up, essentially. But the IEA also found that if pledges and targets are met, emissions will go down and renewables will be significantly boosted. Check the show notes for a link to the full report. And the European Union will soon launch an alliance dedicated to the development of small modular nuclear reactor technology, according to the bloc's energy chief. Kadri Simpson told a forum on atomic power yesterday that her department will carry out all the prep work needed to launch the alliance in the coming months. Eleven of the EU's member states, including France, the Netherlands and Poland, wrote to Simpson and her commission colleagues recently, urging the EU executive to step up its efforts on SMR technology. The new alliance should help countries coordinate supply chains in particular, with a view to potentially rolling out the smaller reactors in the 2030s. That's it for today's news updates. Now, let's take a closer look at the story of the moment. Indonesia is the world's 10th biggest emitter of greenhouse gases, and its fourth most populous country. It presents a massive climate and energy transition challenge, one which is regrettably frequently overlooked by the media. That is unfortunate because Indonesia is doing a lot to bring down its emissions and green its growing economy. It needs help though, and developed countries have pledged $20 billion to help Indonesia embrace renewable energy and kick its addiction to coal power. The plan is well-intentioned, but it has hit somewhat of a rough patch. Last November, countries from the G20 of developed nations uh, agreed to launch a just energy transition partnership with Indonesia in order to help it peak its power sector emissions, reduce its coal dependence, and ramp up renewable energy deployment. This is how US President Joe Biden announced the deal. Together, we hope to mobilize, we're mobilizing $20 billion to support Indonesia's efforts to reduce emissions and expand renewable energy and support workers in the most affected, who are most affected by the transition 
away from coal, and that can be difficult. That $20 billion from partner governments and some of the world's leading financial institutions will accelerate an ambitious energy transition that has a global impact. The headline goal is a 2050 net zero objective for the power sector. $20 billion, half in public money, half sourced from the private sector, will fund the ambitious plan, which is by far the biggest of its kind launched to date. The money will take the form of grants, concessional loans, market rate loans, guarantees, and just simple investments. At its launch date, the partnership was seen as lasting between three and five years, but the money hasn't even started to flow yet. Indonesian President Yoko Widodo yesterday called on the G20 and its partner countries to release the funds so that his country can start its green transition journey. The problem can be traced back to donor governments, though, who are struggling to get budget approval to start the cash flowing. Private sector players are also concerned because President Widodo, an extremely popular leader who has led Indonesia for nearly 10 years, hits his term limit in 2024 and is set to step down. Donors are also concerned about Indonesia's relationship with China and the latter's influence over Indonesia's market-leading nickel industry, which has a huge appetite for energy, in particular coal power. Just like with any other applicant that wants something from someone, Indonesia has had to show its work in, and it's put together an investment plan. A draft of that plan was put out for consultation last week. So what was in it, and is it any good? Catherine Hassan, an Indonesia analyst from the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air, helped me break it down. So Catherine, the, the partnership, it's worth $20 billion. How big an opportunity is this partnership for Indonesia to, to green its economy, to decarbonize? Is $20 billion even you know, a big number in this case? Or what, what does the opportunity for Indonesia actually look like? This this is the spirit of JetP, right? The just transition to decarbonize energy system is is the world is trying to shift faster, and so of course the commitment, the, this funding opportunity is hoped to catalyze that transition, and so I think any amount uh, truly is not insignificant because it it is going towards something that must be done as soon as possible, right? We are in this era in the, the next decade will be very crucial. So any any funds that can go in support of that should not be considered small. I think I, I think that that's that's our point of view. And of course it's I mean looking at the scale, Indonesia is a large country, uh, the economy is growing, uh, the challenge is great because coal is still um, holds still holds a primary share in, in the electricity generation. So it's a big challenge. Um, how will how to make sure that's done cost effectively, right? How to make sure energy energy security um, is retained over the next decade. And so, I I can say that the government has a big task. It's a big undertaking. And of course, the support from JetP, from the G seven countries, and and the G funds is significant because this will this will help the country begin that process right it it will yeah as you saw maybe in the in the recent release of the investment plan there is a big focus now for renewables which is really great solar will be the the underlying support of this uh, transition towards greener grid of course from our side we would like to see more coal being um, phased out sooner and maybe more capacity of coal-fired power plants being retired sooner. Uh, within the decade, we, we see 1.7 gigawatt being plotted or, or aimed for. 
uh, by 2030 in the plan and captive power plants is still not there. Uh, of course, we know funding is, is, is one of the key, key consideration here, one of the key barriers. You mentioned the plan. It was published last week, I guess, so nearly a year after the partnership was first um, announced back in 2022. So what was your overall kind of assessment of this plan? Is is this kind of like locked in stone now? Is there still room to like make it better, like you say, to have more initiatives on like these captive coal plants maybe, or to even have the renewable numbers go up? Do you think there's room for improvement with this plan, basically? Yeah, I, I believe uh, we have read in the draft and, and also we have heard this from the JetP Secretariat as well that the, the JetP draft is supposed to be a living document. Uh, there is opportunity for perhaps to, to betterment, uh, we hope, to, to more ambitious goal. And of course, we, are, we, are, we see there is clear benefit and clear urgency for a more ambitious aim, right? And especially within the, this decade, because we will determine when that peak will be. <clears throat> and of course, the fact that captive power plants are still not in the plan yet, um, it is still a big question mark for the country and for the globe, right? We we do Indonesia is a, is a, is a, holds um, a key role in making sure that the globe or or everybody, yeah, as a, as, as a collective, that the Paris Agreement can be met, that we are getting closer to 1.5 degree target. And so I think, yeah, truly this partnership, yeah, is is significant. I would say it it shows how much commitment Indonesia is willing to put in and also of course the developed countries the partners are the IPG and the and the banking institutions so, yeah check the show notes for more insight from the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air on Indonesia's plan just one note on the discussion with Catherine there when we say captive coal power we're talking about power plants that are earmarked for industrial processes like nickel smelting they aren't feeding the grid with electricity this is where a potential loophole might be exploited, not just in Indonesia, but in other countries. Always beware when a country says it is coal-free, because more often than not, they are probably just talking about power generation, not industrial processes. A little energy life hack there for you. President Widodo is meeting with US counterpart Joe Biden this weekend where he will absolutely raise this issue once again. He also wants Biden to grant Indonesia exemptions under the multi-billion dollar Inflation Reduction Act so that exporters of materials needed to build electric cars can benefit from subsidies. That may well be a tall ask given Indonesia's closeness with China. There is also a queue forming. Everyone in the world that is part of the EV supply chain, Europe in particular, wants to cram themselves into any IRA loopholes that are opened. Indonesia might not be a diplomatic priority for the White House in this particular case. Whatever happens, Indonesia's role in the energy transition is a massively important one. You can rest assured that we will be keeping an eye on it for you here at Foresight Climate and Energy. Thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back on Friday with another edition. In the meantime, check out the latest episode of What Matters, which is a special live recording and looks into how public procurement of energy can benefit the transport sector. The Jolt is free to air, so please do share the episodes with friends and colleagues if you enjoy listening. You can also sign up to our newsletters, 
so you don't miss any climate and energy updates and analysis. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the jolt. <laughs>